This is The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film, starting from the early days of Hollywood all the way up to modern cinema. Take a journey with me, your host, Becca, as I explore all the different facets of filmmaking and all the amazing women making these films. Hello and welcome back to The Celluloid Ceiling. This is, I think, the last episode of season one, and it is a bonus episode which are normally pretty short, like eight, maybe five minutes long. But this one's going to be a little bit longer since I actually have a guest this time. But before I introduce my guest, I want to talk a little bit about the movie and the director, Patty Jenkins, who I briefly mentioned in my Modern Directors episode. So the movie we're going to talk about today is Wonder Woman 1984, which came out on December 25th, 2020. And while I had higher hopes for it, I, like many, were a little disappointed in it. In fact, when my dad and I were watching it, at one point he said, this movie is insulting my intelligence. Uh, But my guests and I are going to dive a little bit deeper into this movie, and I'm going to talk about Patty Jenkins now, who uh, actually was in a webinar with, and she's really awesome. She loves true crime and seems really cool, so us talking about our dislike for the movie is nothing against Patty Jenkins, who I believe is actually a very talented and wonderful director. So Patty Jenkins was born on July 24th, 1971, in Victorville, California, to William T. Jenkins, an Air Force captain and fighter pilot who earned a Silver Star in the Vietnam War, and Emily Roth, who worked in San Francisco as an environmental scientist. When Jenkins was seven, her father died during a NATO mock dogfight at the age of 31. Her mother then took her and her sister to San Francisco so that Jenkins could go into school to become an environmental scientist. There, Jenkins said in 2017, seeing the original Superman starring Christopher Reeve inspired her to pursue her film career. She also talked about that in the webinar as well. She spent kindergarten through her junior year of high school living in Lawrence, Kansas. She received her undergraduate degree from the Cooper Union for Advancement of Science and Art in 1993 and a master's degree in directing from the American Film Institute's AFI Conservatory in 2000. While a student at AFI, Jenkins, an avid fan of the films of Pedro Almodovar, made a 2001 short film, Velocity Rules, that she describes as a cross between a superhero film and Almodovar's tone about accident-prone housewife. Beginning in junior high school, Jenkins took interest in photography, painting, and screen printing. At age 20, while interning at a commercial production company, she heeded a suggestion that she could receive film trimming if she worked on set for free. After doing so for some months, Jenkins advanced to second assistant camera and focus puller, then spent 10 years as a camera person. While shooting a Michael Jackson music video, her director of photography recommended that she attend the American Film Institute to learn directing. She later made a superhero short film that played at the AFI Fest. There, she met Brad Wyman, who later introduced her to producer Donald Cusher, leading to her directing her first feature film, Monster, in 2003. She also talked a lot about that as well. The entire webinar was really great because she talked about how collaborative her process is. And it's very clear that she's a big, uh, like a coach is almost what she uh, called herself and a big team player. And she's all about making sure everyone's doing their part correctly. And she, I mean, she's worked several jobs and that's, that makes her, I, I think in my eyes, the best director you can be because you know a little bit about all this stuff. After Monster, which is a movie about a serial killer, Eileen Warnos, and just as a side note, she had um, obviously been in contact with Eileen Warnos, and she talked about this in the webinar, and how she had received letters after Eileen was sentenced to death and killed. She received letters that Eileen sent between, you know, things she wrote. So it was really good for her and both Charlize Theron to read and really get into the Eileen Warnos sort of mindset. I'm sorry I'm going to keep talking about this webinar. It was really interesting. 
So the movie proved to be a critical and commercial success. And after that, Jenkins was approached by former United States Air Force test pilot Chuck Yeager to develop a film about his life. When that project did not reach fruition, she attempted to make a Ryan Gosling movie titled I Am Superman, a film with no relation to the DC Comics character. But development ended when she became pregnant. Jenkins spent the next decade working in television. And she also did approach Warner Brothers, uh, she said, to to do Wonder Woman as a film much earlier than she actually did. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. In 2011, she directed one segment of the made-for-television anthology film, Five. And in October of 2011, she was hired to direct Thor The Dark World, the first sequel to Thor, but left the project after less than two months over creative differences. In 2014, she was attached to Sweetheart, a film about a female assassin, but the film was never made. In 2015, Jenkins signed on as director for the DC Extended Universe film Wonder Woman, with a screenplay by Alan Heinberg and a story co-written by Heinberg, Zack Snyder, and Jason Fuchs. I think it's Fuchs, but it looks like fucks, and I don't think it's fucks. (laughs) Wonder Woman was released in June 2017 and gave Jenkins the biggest domestic opening for a female director, surpassing the previous record holder Fifty Shades of Grey by Sam Taylor Johnson. With this film, Jenkins also became the first female director of an American studio superhero film. Wonder Woman eventually became a highest-grossing film directed by a woman, surpassing previous record holder Mamma Mia by Felidia Lloyd. While promoting Wonder Woman, Jenkins mentions that her next project would likely be a limited television series developed with her husband, and this project was later released as a horror series called Rip to premiere on the video-on-demand service Shudder. In July 2017, the US cable network TNT announced Jenkins would direct the premiere of a six-episode television drama, I Am the Night, written by her author-husband Sam Sheridan and featuring her Wonder Woman star, Chris Pine. She additionally served as an executive producer. In September 2017, Variety reported that Jenkins would return to direct Wonder Woman 2. And on December 6, 2017, Jenkins was named by Time Magazine as a runner-up for the Time Person of the Year. Wonder Woman 1984 was scheduled to be released by Warner Brothers Pictures in the United States on June 5th, 2020, but due to COVID-19, the release was delayed until December 25th worldwide. The film had originally been scheduled for November 1st, 2019. She had been negotiating the terms of her contract with Warner Brothers for an estimated $7 to $9 million, which would be a record-breaking salary for a female filmmaker. She signed on to the first film with no guarantee of directing the second film, but envisioned the second one during the making of Wonder Woman, which turned out to benefit her greatly. When she signed on to do the second film, she had the ability to get a much higher salary than she would have if she had been signed on to do both films from the beginning. Her goal for the negotiations were to make sure that she would get the same salary that her male counterparts would be getting for doing this movie, and she seems to have succeeded. In December 2020, Disney announced that Jenkins is hired to direct Rogue Squadron, an upcoming Star Wars film centered around the titular Squadron. The film will be released on December 25th, 2023, and Jenkins will be the first female director to helm a Star Wars film. Keep in mind that Star Wars television projects have been directed by women before, but this is the first time that a woman has actually ever directed a Star Wars film. It's kind of embarrassing. So Jenkins and Wonder Woman actresses Gal Gadot and Linda Carter, DC Entertainment President Diane Nelson, and the UN Undersecretary General Christina Gallick appeared at the United Nations on October 21st, 2016, the 75th anniversary of the first appearance of Wonder Woman, to mark the character's designation by the United Nations as an honorary ambassador for the empowerment of women and girls. The gesture was intended to raise awareness of the UN Sustainable Development Goal Number 5, which seeks to achieve gender equality and empower women and girls by 2030. 
The decision was met from protests from the UN staff members who stated their petition to UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon that the character is not culturally encompassing or sensitive and served to objectify women. As a result, the character was stripped of the designation and the project ended December 16th. In the film Monster, Patty explored the issues of morality and femininity, and in Wonder Woman, Jenkins suggests that the audience experiences the journey of the lead character Diana Prince through Diana's eyes. Diana is portrayed as a universal human character who the audience never experiences from the outside. Jenkins suggests that the major theme of the film is the idea that there being no other villain than humans themselves. She mentions how she was influenced by Superman and how that incorporated in her own superhero film. Some of Jenkins' mentors and influencers include Gary Ross, Catherine Bigelow, and Steve Perry. She mentions that she often likes to discuss the process of making music with musicians like Steve. The organization and structure of music, according to Jenkins, has a lot of parallels to theater and drama. She uses this rhythm as a director to direct the delivery of dialogues. She's also incredibly involved in, I think, all uh, um, facets of the filmmaking process, because in that webinar, she did talk about how she is also involved heavily in the the post-production process, which I, of course, was interested in because, you know, that's my jam. So now that I've talked to you about Patty, I'm going to introduce you to my guest, Julia Cowell, who I met back in D.C. when we worked together, and naturally all of our nerd interests have a line, so I thought that she would be a great person to bring on this episode. So I'm going to turn it over to us now. Okay, so Julia, you're my first ever guest on my podcast. I'm so (laughs) excited to be your first ever guest on your podcast. I've wanted to be on a podcast. I've wanted to be a guest on a podcast (laughs) for forever, so I'm so glad that I get to be your first guest. Well, it's funny because you were one of three people who, after watching Wonder Woman, who were like, can you please go watch this movie because I want to talk about it with you? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings when that movie ended. And I was like, I need someone to like confirm what we just saw. Somebody else to confirm what I just watched. Right. And it's... <laughs> As I said earlier, this is like not to shit on this movie because I don't want to, you know, burn any bridges anywhere. Patty Jenkins might want to hang out with us at some point in our lives. But I do have a lot of problems with this movie. (laughs) And I think it stems mostly from like a, um, the first movie was so good in terms of like a feminist, like this is a really great superhero film about a woman directed by a woman and it felt like it was for women and I just felt like we didn't really get that in this sequel I definitely agree and it's been so I watched I did watch it twice I like to watch Mm -hmm. things I like to watch things more than once because the first time you know you are the first time is your reaction and then the second time you can like critically analyze it right and so I did like it better the second time around because it was not me just like, oh, wait, <laughs> what's happening? Uh, but my memory is that, like, Diana is not super active in this movie. She's very passive and very yeah. reactive. And so it was like a weird shift from... You know, the first Wonder Woman movie where she's really driving the action and she's driving her own action and she doesn't yes. she doesn't really care if anybody is following her, right? Like they right, even right. stop following her in the middle of the movie and she's like, I don't care. 
I have a mission and I'm going to continue to accomplish that mission. And like in this movie, it felt like she just was like following along with what was happening versus making decisions right on what was happening. Well, and I think like she was she was driven in this the first one whereas in my opinion she her plot here revolves around a man that she has not seen spoilers I guess by the way that she's not seen in like 40 plus years and is still not over like girl it is the 80s. You are, like, looking hot. You could get anybody you want. Like, the fact that it that she was still, like, so bent up about, ooh, Steve, that's his name? Yeah, yeah his <laughs> name is Steve Trevor, which I think is hilarious because, like, okay, I will, I feel like I need to admit to your podcast audience that I am <laughs> a Marvel stan, like, sure. in the fight between Marvel movies and DC movies, I am firmly in the, the MCU, uh, but I will say, I will say that number one wonder woman was the the best when wonder woman came out it was the best dc movie and number two i like wonder woman better than i like captain marvel because i totally i totally agree right so like and i don't like i think captain marvel is valid Mm -hmm. but i was thinking about this because captain marvel is very much uh like how do i say this so captain marvel is very much fighting to be in a man's world right like she's constantly fighting to be one of the boys and Mm -hmm. that's not to say that like i don't want to come like i don't want (laughs) to i'm not against that be one of the boys if you want to be one of the boys but it was hard to connect with that because I am not that person anymore. Like, I used to be kind of a tomboy, and there was a time in my life where I would have been like, hell yeah, let's do this, Captain Marvel, right away. But she comes off as this very, like, she's she's not a super feminine character, and that's not to say that that's wrong, but I, I liked that Wonder Woman was feminine, and, like... Yes. She is not like femininity is not her weakness right it is actually her strength and so the fact that she's like like her superpower is love and that is a legitimate superpower like that's what i liked about wonder woman and that's what i connected with wonder woman because it was like it's not it's not telling me to be one of the boys it's telling me that like i can be feminine i can be a, a femme girl and i can also kick ass in like using those strengths like like that's not a weakness it's a strength and that makes me a superhero like that's what i connected to with the first wonder woman and like there didn't seem to be any sort of message like that in the second wonder woman like yeah i'm not really sure what the central thesis of wonder woman 2 was yeah i I completely well I agree first I do want to say I totally agree being feminine and being like a badass were like two things that you couldn't do and like young girls are like you you don't want to be like oh I don't want to be like other girl I'm so special and different but like what's what is the problem with like I want to wear a pink dress but I also would like to do like nerdy or like badass things like it's there's this weird like dichotomy of like women can't be women and when they want to be women it's bad right (laughs) and that is that is definitely something that like I am just now at 32 figuring out because I was definitely 
more of a tomboy when I was a girl. Mm-hmm. Like, I played catch with my dad, and I played in the dirt, and, like, my mom was not super girly. Like, she Same. she only wore makeup on special occasions, and she was usually, you know, covered in paint or stuff from the garden or something like that. So for a really long time, I was like, ew, girly girls, ew, pink. <laughs> like, that was not my jam. And it was not until I was in my 20s uh, that I was like, but wait, there's nothing wrong with being, there's yeah. nothing wrong with pink. There's nothing wrong with wanting to wear makeup and do girly things. And there's nothing wrong with being, you know, soft, right? Yes. Like, yes. you don't have to, you know, be a hard ass all the time. You right. can be soft and still be powerful. And like, like being soft can be a strength. Yeah. And that's what I got out of Wonder Woman. <laughs> I mean, and I think we kind of see that with Barbara's character, too. Like, I, first of all, I do want to say, I think that every actor in this did, like, a really good job. I'm not, I think that they, I love Pedro Pascal. That man was, like, 80s villain of Wazoo. Phenomenal. Kristen Wick was really good. I yes. wasn't expecting that not because i don't think she's a good actress but she's more like comedic but i enjoyed her as barbara personally she is very much like when i think of Kristen wig i think of a character actor and so i was kind of on the fence about her being in the movie but she actually like she's the perfect casting to play Mm -hmm. barbara like that makes total sense uh and she did like I think one of my notes is literally like she is crushing this kind of terrible dialogue right now because like the apex predator lines come out of nowhere and she just like crushes it. I was like, you know what? You sold that line and I don't know a lot of actresses who could have done that. I'm going to be real honest. You know, I like so I know we're supposed to like really detest when she's like becoming evil sure, cheetah sure. and like is like beating the shit out of the guy who was harassing her earlier but i don't maybe this is because I- i've watched too many like revenge movies so i was like yeah she should beat him up this is a good thing a thousand- I, i'm here for her yeah a thousand percent i was like <laughs> i have no problem with this happening like like i don't i don't mind it i feel like <laughs> i feel like barb is but barbara is maybe my favorite character in this movie like i know she goes off the rails there at the end but like from like until she shows up and is part cat yeah uh i was like no no i'm definitely on team barb like she seems to be where it's at um she like i don't i feel like there was a real there was a missed opportunity to have a like a real female friendship between Barbara and Diana and I think that's where that's where their biggest miss I don't even want to say it was their biggest mistake but like that was (laughs) that was I was looking forward to yes Barbara and Diana being good friends and i think they wanted us to believe that they were good friends because they have that fight at the end and like i think there's supposed to be some sort of emotional catharsis there but it was like yeah you guys went to lunch 
Like one time. (laughs) And Diana wasn't even that nice beforehand. She would just like, she super was like, oh, this weirdo. And was not going to go to lunch. And it wasn't until the, they find the citrine stone that she's like, maybe I should elbow my way into this department by making friends with Barbara. And I think they had a nice time. They went to lunch. I want to find that restaurant and go there someday. (laughs) Um, And like, I, they want you to believe that they are good friends, but I also was like, there was not enough build up for this. Like, I wish they had yeah. been friends before this movie started, so that we could yes. see them like, you know, hanging out and like under like feel that emotional like tug at the end where it's like, oh, but you know they're best friends and now they have to fight each other to the death maybe and Barbara's really gone crazy because like Diana's her best friend but she's trying to kill her and what's happening like there could have been a lot more there and it it did not feel as strong as it could have I totally agree because I had to look up the like the origin of Cheetah because I I don't know much about Wonder Woman and in the comics they are like good friends and um, she gets, I guess, I, I don't know. I don't remember. So if someone gets upset, I'm sorry. But she gets, like, I think abducted by aliens of some sort and then, like, forced or turned into Cheetah, essentially, like, and brainwashed. So that makes it worse for Diana, who's like, oh, my God, my friend is gone. Uh, so that would have been really interesting to, I don't know if you have to do the whole alien thing, but maybe... Uh, I don't know. I think Cheetah and um, Wonder Woman in general could have just been the whole movie. We didn't even need Wishstone, Max Lord, whatever. That could have been way more interesting because there's the like Disney princess formula where it's like if you're, or I guess Disney movie formula where if your main character is, is a woman, typically the villain's a woman too. Uh, it's not always that way, but most of the time it is. Uh, so they have this like equal kind of power dynamic there. Uh, so that would have been interesting to see. I, I agree. We could have just had the one thing going on I think like uh, there's a thing that you said that I was like oh my gosh I want to talk about this thing (laughs) that's what it is okay so the whole we're jumping way ahead to like the very end of the movie Mm -hmm. but Diana's major conflict at the end of the movie is like essentially I've sacrificed so much can I just have this one nice thing (laughs) this one thing which is my boyfriend possessing somebody else's body which like oh lots of problems there oh that's weird guys um but I feel like because we skip ahead so far like we go from 1917, 1918, all the way up to 1984, mm-hmm. and we don't see those intervening years. So it's like, okay, yeah. you sacrificed one thing like 60 years ago. And to be fair, it was hard. He was the love of your life. I don't want to like diminish that struggle, but you sacrifice one thing. What other things have you sacrificed? Like, we don't see. Diana making decisions to like let people go or you know choose 
the higher path over something that's a little more selfish. We just see her go from, you know, the end of World War One, and now we're in the 80s, and we have no real idea what she's done in the last 60 years, right, which, right. according to the movie, seems to be not a whole lot. Nothing, she's just, like, right. laying low. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, you, are you even trying to make friends, Diana? Like... That was, like, the other thing. And I understand, like, look, it's COVID right now. I'm not making a whole lot of new friends. But I feel like uh, in outside of, you know, strange circumstances, like, I would want to make friends in a place where, I mean, she grew up, I'm assuming, in a place where, like, everybody knew everybody. It was a small, tiny little island. And you have really nice, close female friendships so wouldn't you like want to continue making really nice close female friendships like i mean sure she can make friends with guys too whatever but i feel like i also went to an all-girls school so maybe i was like oh yeah i can go make female friends easier that's fine i understand you diana but no she doesn't want to make any (laughs) uh friends and it like is that what we're supposed to understand is her big sacrifice that she's like She's choosing not to put herself out there because... Because one time. Because one time she got hurt? Because that's what I'm... Like, that doesn't feel like a sacrifice. That feels like Diana is suddenly afraid of, like, heartbreak. And that is not... Like, that's not a sacrifice that that you deserve a nice thing for. Right? Right. It, the other thing that I have a lot of issue with is like Steve Trevor, sure, he's a great guy. He did a lot for her. First man she's ever seen. So, but also like if they haven't spent like five years together. It's like what, most a week, if, if even. Uh, so like I get falling and ha- falling hard and fast, but it's it was a week and uh, in 1917 and you're still not over this guy. <laughs> I mean, how long was that boat trip? That boat trip was oh. probably like a month. So it's All right, like, like a month five plus. Weeks. It's okay. five weeks. <laughs> five weeks, and she will never, ever be with another man in her life again. Ever again. It's so weird. <sighs> the DC universe is so weird. Because when we're introduced to Diana, it's like 20 teens, and she's at the end of... I think she's at the end of Batman vs. Superman. I think so. Like, shows up and is this mysterious character, whatever. Uh, but she shows up in Justice League, and she's kind of like, she's got some big mom energy. Like, <laughs> she's here to clean up your mess because you're all dumb babies. But she yeah. also maybe has a thing for Bruce Wayne. And I'm like, all right, Diana, get it. And then we jump back in time to a very different Diana. So different. Who is very much a sophisticated, naive, newborn baby, right? Uh, <laughs> and that's great. I love it. It's I, I, We've already talked. I love it. I love that Diana. Um, and then, so, like, 1984, you're like, okay, so we're seeing the transition from, like, newborn baby to... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, badass yeah. taking care, like, in charge character, which I yeah. guess we kind of get, but it, like, the idea that she's been hung up on Steve for 60 years, and then her next, like, that, 
then we spend another 30 years and her next guy is Bruce Wayne? Question mark? Like, that's a weird progression. Like, did yeah. anything happen between 1984 and... <laughs> no, she was probably so once again broken up by the fact that she can no longer have Steve 2.0. I mean, I will give her this. Chris Pine is a great Chris. He's an excellent Chris. Like, good He's a top-tier Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I do... So going back to the idea that this revolves around a, a man... Birds of Prey, which I technically did talk about on this podcast before, because I think it was actually the first movie that I talked about, I, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe how much I love this movie. But that plot technically revolves around the breakup of of uh, a relationship between her and, and the, the reclaiming of herself as a person. And I think it handles the idea of, like, your identity around a man, way better than this one does i think because it directly addresses it because it's like right listen ladies ladies we have all (laughs) been here where we have defined ourselves by our relationship with a man and sometimes that relationship does not work out we need to figure out who we are again and that's hard and sometimes you need more ladies to help you figure that out and that's what we did in this movie like there was such a great representation of just female friendships yes like and like relationships between women it was like it was very refreshing it made me think so the thing it makes me think of is uh so i'm watching through the the afi top 100 movies Mm -hmm. and there's a whole lot of movies on vietnam in that list. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which is very telling for, like, who <laughs> voted on these movies. Yes. <laughs> who decided this was one of our top... Who decided that all of these Vietnam movies are, <laughs> like, taking up space on the top 100 movies of American film history? Like, who decided that? Um, but I have watched Deer Hunter, mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. and Platoon. Oh, Yes. Which are all about Vietnam. And out of those three movies, only one of those directors was actually in the Vietnam War. And I feel like you can tell immediately watching those movies. Like, because it's Oliver Stone and uh, he directed Platoon. And there is just something about it that you're like, this feels Mm -hmm. personal and this Mm -hmm. feels accurate. Apocalypse Now is meandering and like <laughs> too much. They're like, oh god, somebody needed to like rein this in. And Deer Hunter is kind of the same way. Um, and that one especially because that one revolves around uh, Russian roulette. And it's <laughs> like Russian roulette was not ever a thing until this movie <laughs> came out. So you made this up. You kind of made this up for the movie. Um, so Wonder Woman felt like it was personal and it felt like it was an accurate representation of of women because it came from a woman. Yes. I don't want to say that men can't do that, but it is very obvious what a woman does it because it's like, oh, she gets it, right? Birds of Prey was another movie where it was like, oh, this is a movie about women from women who actually know, Mm -hmm. which is why this feels so authentic and 
personal and like yes yes i'm i am in this movie <laughs> i see myself in this movie like i am connecting with this movie because i see myself on this movie uh 1984 maybe had moments of that but nowhere near as much as wonder woman or birds of prey did yeah and once again i feel like i connected most with barbara which i don't know is very telling of me or not because it's like i'm also this kind of awkward nerd chick who like enjoys shiny rocks and museums and would like to hang out with diana uh that's yeah (laughs) and is attracted to pedro pascal Uh, (laughs) he it i feel like it says a lot about pedro pascal Pedro Pascal as an actor that I was like, you look terrible right now and I'm still attracted to you. Like, what is this saying about me? I think it's because like, he is so in the role in general, is like incredibly charismatic. Yes. Um, which is why I guess he first of all I want to say I do not understand how he came up with the rules of once once he became the wishing stone that if he becomes the wishing stone and then grants someone a wish he gets a wish if that person wishes it for I don't know where that rule came from I think it came out of the like sacrifice thing that the the wishing stone had because like you make a wish and in order to get your wish you have to give something else up so he, as the wishing stone, uh, decided what that person <laughs> was going to give up. That's what I understood. Okay, but that it was I like, guess makes sense. I definitely was like, but how did you, how, how did you know that would work? Like, the, yeah, first of all, how did you know you would not get turned into a stone? Right? <laughs> I just like, what kind of research did you do on this? That That's you got it to ever. work exactly the way that you wanted. Now, the first time... I'm going to also admit another thing. The first time I watched this movie, I fell asleep for about 10 minutes in the middle <laughs> of the movie. And then I woke up and I was like, wait, what is happening now? I don't, I don't know if that hurt or helped. I really don't, I don't know. I, well, because I woke up and they were talking about the monkey's paw. And I was like, hold on, oh hold up. Why didn't they just call this Wonder Woman monkey's paw? Like, <laughs> why did... Why did the whole plot of this movie boil down to the monkey's paw? Like, what? And we had to bring it up every five seconds just to make sure you you who in the audience are paying attention. Once we have actually said the phrase, the monkey's paw, we're going to say it for the rest of the movie. <laughs> in case you forgot. Just because there is a lot going on. So, The monkey's paw did not seem so out of left field but i was definitely expecting in that like 10 minute block that i would see somebody explaining the legend of the monkey's paw which they don't do and i was like they they like tried when they went to go to the man who is quite obviously indian but says he's mayan uh i'm talking from india not native uh peoples uh like i should clarify that uh (laughs) That was very, that was like a weird choice. I didn't understand where that was coming from because the whole point is this this thing is from like the gods or whatever. The, 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 so why would you point out an at, it was, no, Mayan. Why not point out like Rome or Greece? Like, how the hell's that thing getting over here? 
I didn't <laughs> mind. I didn't mind that just because the Mayans are very mysterious and they were at one point like super technologically advanced and then suddenly were very not technologically advanced. Like the rest of the world had very much surpassed them. So I was like, I don't mind that this is the explanation for <laughs> what happened to the Mayans. Let's, let's, you know, retcon history with some, you know, mythological creatures. But I like the fact that they brought up the gods and then we never see a god was very like why yeah. why would you bring what, this what? up if you're not going to use it i was very excited i was like okay maybe this means i don't remember any greek things but there's uh, there's the goddess of chaos i was like yeah. this this is her thing we're going to see her by the end of this movie Pedro Pascal's been dead the whole time, and she's like possessed him or so. I don't. I was trying to think of anything <laughs> that could get this this character in here. So I was like, so then there's another badass lady who's just like, I'm evil, and then you could deal with me at the end of the movie. Uh, but that didn't happen. So I was just sitting there like, all right, we're gonna just keep it this way. <laughs> I don't know if that's maybe just me wanting like some sort of closure on that or something. I don't know. I. So I did, I looked up Diana and I looked at the origins of Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. which is this guy in like World War One era who just really thought ladies were amazing. I was like, <laughs> ladies are clearly the superior gender and we should have a superhero about a lady who uses her strength as a lady and her strengths being, you know, like, love and compassion and gentleness yeah. and these are her superpowers and that's what makes her a superhero and he invented wonder woman great which i'm like the first when i when i think about wonder woman one in that light i'm like oh yeah that's definitely what they were channeling in this movie wonder woman 2 i think they were trying to keep that up and i like there's that one scene where they're at the white house and they're fighting a bunch of That's guys. That's the best scene. And Steve pulls out Steve pulls out a gun and she's like, "No, no, 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 no. We're not killing anybody. Like it's yeah. not their fault. They're under the influence of this other thing." And it was like, "Cool. Diana is still here to protect people because she yes. still sees people and thinks a baby." <laughs> uh, which is just wonderful. Like I really I really love that about Diana. Um but it felt like I don't know. And maybe they were trying uh, I don't know, Rebecca, because <laughs> part of me is like it feels like none of the people in this movie deserved Diana to be there protecting them, but maybe that was the that was the point. Like even though mm. these people are, you know, not worthy of Diana, Diana is still choosing to, you know, protect them and give right. up what she wants to save them so maybe that was the point but also i like i had no emotional connection to that until after i had watched the movie twice <laughs> and was trying to work through what happened in the movie like i wish they had emphasized that or made that clearer or something question mark like make that more of a well, if that was the point because right, i still don't they, know if it was <laughs> and they really could have because that's a very like 
80s theme of like greed and which is obvious with um max lord which is pedro pascal's character like he is like the quintessential like 80s movie bad guy which is like greedy and like self-centered and like that's what a lot of 80s movies like especially bad guys are about and if we focused on that particular aspect more i think then yeah we could get to what the movie's about um I feel like they had a lot of threads in this movie that they did not tie off at the end. So they're just loose yeah. and hanging around. Like, this that's... It felt to me like three different, like, mini-sode episodes that were like, you know what, let's just make it actually a two-hour special. Yes. 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 <laughs> that is how it felt. <laughs> because there was... There was so much happening. I haven't, we haven't even talked about Steve Trevor coming back really yet. And there's so much to talk about with that. I will say he says one of the only times I laughed out of like comedy and not being like, what the hell? Um, When they are like, uh, when they're stealing the jet from the Smithsonian (laughs) to go to Egypt. Uh, And she says something about, oh, they can track us. And he goes, well, shit, Diana. I like genuinely laughed at that part that's I thought a that legitimately part was really great line that is legitimately great um i have to look up in my notes because i wrote <laughs> down that i had to look up because the first time i think i was like part because i fell asleep right after they take the jet like right, right after right. they get in the jet and they get away i don't even know that i saw her make the jet invisible no, I saw her make the jet invisible the first time. And then, like, right after that, I was out. <laughs> um, so I was, like, tuning in and out of that scene. And I was like, hang on. What the hell is this place? What the hell is this place that Diana has access to it but can't take the plane? Like, the first time I was like, oh, is that, like, her private plane garage? And then I was like, wait, but they're, like, oh, unauthorized flight on the tarmac. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's not her private plane garage? Um, And then the second time I realized it's the Roth Smithsonian Archives, and I made a note to myself to look that up, and then I never did. Well, I thought she was, like, on a military base. I must have checked out and not seen what was going around her and then she takes off and was in the middle of dc and i was like oh and i guess she has access to every single smithsonian museum because she works at natural history so that i guess makes sense but why so i feel like there should be a dc consultant on any movie that is made about the washington dc area and like because you i have lived there and you have lived you live there it I was just trying to figure out why they would have a fully gassed up um, plane. Just and I don't. I've I've been to the air and space, not not in the eighties, uh, but I don't think that there was a runway that of which you could take off in the middle of DC. And like, I don't know how it works. We've done. We've done a surprising amount of work with aviation organizations. And so, like, I've been on pl- around, like, small planes at small, yeah. like, local airports or, like, private airports. Sure. Uh, but I also don't think that, like, any of the planes in the Smithsonian have gas in them. Like, that just seems like a hazard. Like, why would yes. you? And what is... What is the Roth Smithsonian archives? Is it just an archive of planes? Like, 
was it gas because they had to fly the planes there? But then are they planning on ever flying them away? So they just keep them fueled up all the time? Question mark? And thank God Steve Treasure trips Steve can operate a modern plane because That's he was sure. a pilot. It is no different than the like wash tubs that they flew in the 19-teens. Like, definitely not different at all. Oh, and then they he immediately flies into 4th of July fireworks. Which I was like, wait a minute. It's July 4th? You're just Which, gonna pull that out no, of nowhere? No, no lead up. There could have been like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking really easy stuff. A bunch of little American flags everywhere. A bunch of tourists in town at the Metro because I've never seen a man look at the Metro like Steve Trevor looked at the Metro. Number one, I did appreciate that that looked like an actual Metro station in DC. The trains, the trains are literally still the same. The steam. Well, like, here's my problem because I watched <laughs> two seasons of Jack Ryan, because I love John Krasinski. Um, but the first season is all entirely in DC, and he rides the Metro mm-hmm. a bunch at the end, and I was like, none of those are Metro stations. <laughs> Not a single one of those. Not a single rat metro. was seen in any of these. <laughs> no. Like, all of this is way too clean. None <laughs> of this is the right color. Um, but... It did look like they were in Metro Center filming that scene uh, with the Metro. But I was like, this is the cleanest Metro station I have ever... Like, did you guys bring someone in to clean the entire Metro station? Because this is way too clean. Like, this does not look real. Yeah, no. not And too bright. It was way too bright in there. Yes, yes. Although, that's why I thought it was Metro Center, because I was like, Metro Center is a little bit brighter than the rest of them. Uh, Those dank, dark holes that you'll get murdered in if you stay for too long. Yeah, exactly. That's His excitement over DC in general was nice. Um, But I feel like the idea of him coming back inside someone else's body was really weird and they could have done something way better and this is just i'm just spitballing so what they could have done is literally bring back steve so they don't have to even mess around like with all that but because of that there's all these historical repercussions because he never died and so that's a sacrifice that diana doesn't want to make because what if then nazi germany and all that madness it succeeded because he didn't die. So, and then you're like reading all this stuff, like, why is history changing? And that's why he's like, well, I gotta go back and die. And that's why she's at war with herself because really bad things happened and are continuing to happen now. But she, but you know, her boyfriend's back. I think that could have been way more interesting. I like that a lot, and I <laughs> wish they had done that. Patty Jenkins, you can hire me for Wonder Woman three. I would love I would love to be a part of that team. I would love to be a part of that team. I could just spit we just spitball with her and like that's about it. I would just like to sit I'll sit in the writer's room <laughs> and I'll just review all your notes and I'll just be like, Hey Patty, hey, hey Patty, I have a real question and I think you should like think about the answer to it. Like, here's my question. This could be a plot hole. <laughs> 
Oh, but we both sat, or we watched that, that webinar that she yes. got a couple weeks ago, and she talked about how they were doing, like, extensive um, rewrites and stuff, and she was, like, super, and I think this makes a lot of sense after, like, what, like watching that webinar and watching the movie, and that she got busy with another project because it got pushed forward, and so then they had to bring on another writer, and I was like, ah, oh, this makes so much sense now. Makes so much more sense. It, it did feel, it did have that DC extended universe quality where it's like yeah. you started off with one person who had a vision and then something happened, TM, <laughs> and you, have, you now have extensive rewrites slash reshoots slash recuts and now that vision is like 12 people's vision and none of it makes sense. And it's not emotionally satisfying. Like, <sighs> it's just a little bit of a, a little bit of a mess. Just those, just a, one thing that disappointed me was like there was there the scene that I think about most in Wonder Woman is the like the no man's land, and she's like, well, I'm not a man, and just like walks, and I was like that, and that like hyped me up, like to note, kind of like the Lord of the Rings, I am no man kind yeah, of yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. Like, like that kind of stuff. I'm just like, yes, okay, but there was none of that, um, action wise or at all in this movie. There's not in in I think there's what three or four actions, maybe five, if I'm real, if I really want to push it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of them all now. So there's the one in the Middle East. Can we, in a minute, we should talk about how weirdly political this movie is. <laughs> not, not weird that it gets political, just like weird in the way that it gets political. Uh, yes, yeah. But there's the scene in the Middle East where with the car mm-hmm. where she's like leaping the trucks. With the amazing, okay, soundtrack is amazing there. Like, I will give it that. I listen to that song a lot. <laughs> Um, the scene where she fights Cheetah at the White House. Mm-hmm. And then there's other, like, real Cheetah, actual cat Cheetah fighting. And then, the, okay, you could kind of count the beginning as, oh, I forgot about the the mall fight. Oh, yeah, the mall fight. <laughs> Which I was like, okay, it was super cheesy, and I was here for it. I was like, this is excellent. If we're going to be this ridiculous in the 80s, if we're Stranger Thingsing this 80s shit right now, I am here for it. And it wasn't. The rest of the movie was not. Yeah, it was very different. I Okay, let's talk about that beginning. Uh, Because I like the scene where she's on Themyscira. Great. That ties in with the that ties in with the movie itself. And I don't hate the mall scene. But then your movie doesn't actually start until after you've had like two intros and that feel like I was sitting watching it with my sister and her husband and her kids and her husband was like, Oh my god, it's like half an hour and the movie hasn't even started yet. And I was like, shut your mouth. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, he's moving got a point. Um, 
which sucks because I know I read an article where Patty talks about how she fought to have both of those scenes. And I was like, girl, they are great scenes. But also, think about how they tie into the rest of the story because I'm a little worried that they don't. They, they, They don't. Because I love the beginning scene. I think it's really fun. It's really cool. But if you took it out, it it would change nothing about the movie. And the, the hard thing, like, I like the idea of Jenkins and co. using these, like, childhood lessons that Diana yeah. learns as the thesis for their, the rest of the movie. But I didn't really understand how the so like the lesson she learns in Themyscira in that scene is you can't cheat to win, right? right? It doesn't feel like they tie that into the message of the movie no. until like very late in the game because I definitely was like, oh, so Diana's gonna like make a decision mm-hmm. that is not a hundred percent like cool kid diana decision she's gonna try and cheat at something and that's gonna be the problem i don't think that diana was cheating at anything like but like the idea that you're using this wish stone Mm -hmm. instead of working for your wish that's cheating and but that connection i didn't make that connection until like really far into the movie it's super weak because she's not cheating anything no steve trevor's cheating death but she didn't well and like he's cheating death i guess but like diana makes a wish like oh haha wouldn't it be nice if this stone and i don't even know that like the way that they shoot that scene it doesn't feel like she is making that wish like consciously it's like the stone is reading her like innermost thoughts that she's not even like allowing her to like self to think like it didn't feel like she was like, uh, yes, I'm holding this wish stone and ha ha ha, I'm going to make a wish. It was like, oh, I'm holding this wish stone. Yeah. If only this wish stone actually worked. And then like she puts it down. But like the breeze blows, the magic breeze yeah, blows. <laughs> and she has unknowingly made a wish. That's how I read it. That's uh, how I For read. sure. So then how does that count as cheating if she doesn't know she's cheating? She knew... I guess she didn't know she was cheating in the race, but like. I think she maybe knew. <laughs> but is that cheating or is that just being smart? Is, I is did what not I thought. I think that it was cheating. No, I thought knew. it was being smart. And it was not until Robin Wright knocks her down that she was like, no cheating. And I was like, oh, okay, that was cheating. Like, I would assume that in that type of race, it's like, no, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It's like. You do what you can to win, question mark, because it's ancient Greece and they're, they're, that's the rules. I don't know. I'm making a lot of generalities there. <laughs> but, like, I didn't, I didn't see that as cheating. I was like, no, oh, no. that's smart. I was like, it's ingenuity. She's figuring out a way to, to deal with an issue that she doesn't have the means for, which was like, oh, that's going to come into play later. Did it? <laughs> No. <laughs> I that was my main takeaway. I was like, okay, the cheating thing, yes, but she's going to figure out a, a better solution. It's just it's the that scene. I feel like if once again, if that scene was just taken out, I wouldn't it wouldn't 
be so upset but it was a really well done scene the other thing that bothered me is it was a totally different aspect ratio as the rest of the movie i don't know why that bothered me but it did i am so (laughs) bad at noticing that like sometimes i'm really good at it but uh trevor at work pointed out that WandaVision keeps changing aspects yes. aspect ratios depending on like what era slash geographic location you are. And I was yeah. like, I had no idea. I I love that kind of stuff, but it made no sense in this movie. Like there was no point of which there was like an 80s montage for me to be like aha yes we are in 80s land tv or movie now i understand because then if they would have slapped on a stupid little film grain i would have been fine i would have been like we are in the 80s i do not even care about that um just change because i guess you oldie thymascara is in 16 by 9 but <laughs> Slap up like, some grain, <laughs> some weird like color noise. I love yes. it. I love it. Make and everything this... like slightly blurry. And so this marketing campaign was aggressively 80s. It was so good. I was so hyped. The Blue Monday song that was really good. And I was like, okay, wonderful work. I'm like, 80s nostalgia is like super big right now and I'm in love with it because it's a comfort period of time that I was never alive for but I really find comfort in it because 80s and early 90s are basically the same era and like it's fun the music is wonderful the fashion is hideous and I love it and there was like not enough of it (laughs) not enough and that let's talk about that poster for a second because that poster is a work of art like i was hyped for that movie did we get something super technicolor i felt like even the reveal on the gold armor was like but couldn't you have made this pop just a little bit more yeah i was so the whole gold armor i was like that's gonna be a really important thing and it kind of was. <laughs> I, what has Diana been doing for the last six years? Like, what has she been doing? Because I think that was where, like, that was maybe the biggest missing piece for me. Like, if you had filled in what Diana had been doing, obviously at one point she went looking for this other, yeah, uh, this other Themyscirian, uh, or this other Amazon, and didn't find her but she did find the armor cool great i i kind now that we're talking about it i kind of wish that instead of the scene of her as a girl it themiscira we had seen her looking for this other amazon and finding the Ooh, armor yeah. like i think it could have been that could have been interesting because very clearly and now i'm totally blanking on Linda Carter, that's her name. I was like, clearly Linda Carter is somewhere out in the real world as well. There could have been something really interesting with like even a like a montage of her through the ages looking for somebody else. Sure, <laughs> sure. Okay, so here's a here's a thought. Like So she goes so for rewriting Wonder Woman and she goes <laughs> and the first scene is her looking for that Amazonian because she's looking for 
connection. She's looking yeah. for the relationship that she's lost. And, like, I think they tried to do it with that, that like, uh, dolly through of her apartment where you see all the photos of the other howling commandos i mean the other people in steve trevor's unit um uh so you see like you see the one guy getting married you see mm-hmm. her with some of these other characters she's clearly taking uh i want to say her name is Dottie, but i think that's false i don't think that's real information steve trevor's secretary you see her with steve trevor's secretary going to new york for the first time and like is that supposed to imply that diana had these friends and she lost all these friends and so now she's like she doesn't want to make friends anymore sure. so like yeah. Okay, cool. Let's play off of that. So she doesn't want to make friends anymore. So she's going to find this Amazonian who she's like, we have a shared history. She's Mm -hmm. probably kind of immortal. We can maybe connect. Maybe I can have a friend for once in my life. And she doesn't find this Amazonian. She just finds the armor. And she's like, well, I guess I'm just going to be alone forever. And then it makes sense that she doesn't want to have lunch with Barb because she doesn't want to make friends with people who are just going to die on her eventually Mm -hmm. and then it makes sense why she would be like oh thank god Steve Trevor came back because maybe this is it like maybe he's going to stick around this time and he's not going to die and then it feels like it feels a little more cohesive and it feels like more of a cheat I guess that way like she's yeah. not going to put in the effort to make new friendships because she's afraid of getting hurt again yes. Yes. but she will cheat and cling to these old friendships that she should let go even though they were perfectly great friendships right. like like she needs to move on and like that is that that is that what she's cheating at I don't know it's it's clear they wanted to keep fish out of water because they do the whole fish out of water thing with Steve Trevor, but you could have kept a continually fish out of water with Diana because she's, if she's going back to, and like another Amazonian woman, she still isn't connecting with, like her life outside of Thymascara. and that could have been a, another thing of where she has to be present and she can no longer be like you know looking to the past. I guess that's what she, I don't really know if she's if her cheating is not living in the moment like I well and that's the thing like I feel like there is a good movie in here there are maybe yeah. multiple good movies in here but you didn't decide which movie you wanted and so you gave us all of the movies but they don't yes. tie together very nicely no not at all there was something there. There was something there in that movie. It just didn't. It just didn't tie together. I think if we wanted to keep like wishstone thing, we could do like the other thing that I going back to the apex predator line. It just like it one comes out of nowhere. Two, that's her second wish. How does she get a second wish? They Is don't it, explain it. But. Okay, so the whole thing that she is sacrificing is her personality, I guess, and her niceness. Stupid. I think <laughs> what could have happened, this is my rewriting of Barbara now, is the the more she becomes, like, beautiful, I guess, and sexy and strong, 
the more cat-like she becomes uh, instead. And then the moment she decides to, like, say fuck it all is when she finally, like, 100% transforms into Cheetah. Um, I don't I don't really know how you work her being a Cheetah into this, but... I don't... So, that is one thing. I appreciated that at the end, Barbara's not out to be... Uh, she was not out to be sexy. She wanted to be strong and she mm-hmm. wanted to be powerful. And I was mm-hmm. like, girl, get it. Um, but we don't actually see Barb being, well, I guess we kind of do because she gives her dinner to that homeless guy. But like, we don't see her being yeah. nice. We see her being like, we see her trying to make friends with people and being super awkward. Right, right. It, it didn't, I don't know. That felt like a disconnect, too. And I do think it would have been more interesting if we had seen her losing, like, humanity, humanity. (laughs) Like, as opposed to just, like, her sense of human decency. She's, like, literally losing what it is to be human. Like, maybe she becomes feral. Like, instead of beating that guy up, she, like, bites him or something. I don't know. (laughs) That would have been amazing. (laughs) But then it's, like, really big teeth marks, and they're like, what the hell? And then she's like, oh, no. <laughs> what? That could have... See, that could have... We could have wrote... We could have fixed Wonder Woman. <laughs> we could have fixed Wonder <laughs> I'm available for uh, consulting. Well, Wonder Woman 3's been greenlit, so... Uh, I will say, I do, sorry, because I'm thinking about Wonder Woman 3 now, and I am going to backtrack to the aspect ratio thing. (laughs) And I'm like, is the change in aspect, was it for theater goers? Because Mm. were you going to get a different experience if you were in a theater versus in our homes watching HBO Max? Because, like, I got it, like, I feel terrible that people were not allowed to release their movies in movie theaters. Sure, yeah. But I definitely benefited from the fact that I already subscribed to HBO Max and was able to watch this in the comfort of my own home on Christmas, which I would not have been, like, I would not have been able to do that. Like, I wouldn't have been able to go out to a movie during Christmas. Like, that's just not, like, there are family obligations. And even <laughs> if there wasn't a pandemic going on right now, it was like, yeah. well, like, we can't go to a movie this week. It's Christmas. Right. So it was really nice to watch that movie from the comfort of my own home. It was great. I really enjoyed it. But it does detract from stuff like, oh, well, this was shot like Super 35 or like IMAX yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So, like, okay, I'll. I'll allow it. I'll allow it because it was probably for a reason that we didn't fully experience because we didn't watch sure. it in a movie theater. I will go off on a tangent on that now because I just watched Gremlins 2, which has absolutely nothing to do with this movie whatsoever. But there is a point in Gremlins 2 where they like break the fourth wall and the um, the film like um, fizzles out. And there are two gremlins in the and the, bo- the projection booth and then they go into a theater and they're like Hulk Hogan can you pl- Hulk Hogan can you please kick out the gremlins from the projection booth to make gremlins 2 continue to play and as someone who has never seen gremlins 2 in the theaters the whole like 
illusion, like, was just like, I don't know where this is going. So maybe if we stop doing stuff just for theaters, because more people are going to continue to watch it, like, at home. Like, here I was sitting at home watching Gremlins 2, and then it just stopped in the middle to give me a vignette of people being like, well, the first Gremlins was better. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Um, I don't, first, in general, that movie felt like I was on acid for two hours. Um, It's on HBO Max. I highly recommend it just to watch as an experience. But (laughs) it's just... Doing things in the theater for theater is really cool when you can experience them in the theater. But then, as I'm someone, and maybe I'm different, but I like to continually rewatch movies all the time. And that then, like, ruins whatever fun thing that they did for the theater because it's just odd when it's on TV <laughs> or it's in my whatever. So I think we should stop that if Hollywood was lis- is listening. Let's just stop it. <laughs> I would. That is my one thing that I miss. There's not a whole lot of things that I miss. Like, I sort of miss interacting with my friends personally in person. I'm a very introverted person most (laughs) of the time, so it's like, I don't actually mind being home all the time. This is actually very soothing for me. I I miss going to see movies in the movie theater. Like, because that's the one, like... That's where the magic happens. Like, we didn't go to the movie theater a lot when I was a kid, so it was always a special occasion when we went. And now that I'm an adult, I probably spend more money on movie tickets than I ought to. Uh, But also, it still feels like a magical, like, you go into the room, and it's all dark, and you bought a stupid amount of popcorn, and you get to experience other people experiencing the movie that you're watching. Yes. Like, I don't know. There's there's still magic in that, I think, even though I I know how a lot of the magic in movies works. I I plug going to the movies to see movies. Like, I would much rather be in a theater watching Wonder Woman. I think I would have liked it more because it would have been a more cinematic experience than me sitting in my living room where my dad and I just talked the entire time through Wonder Woman because we were like, ah, what's going on? But that wouldn't have happened if like I got to be in a room with other people because I do think there is a really nice, like there's a magic when you do watch films with people because you can talk like I, I the last movie i saw in theaters was the invisible man almost a year ago and i made friends with the woman but next to me because she was like would you do that and i was like absolutely not i would not do that and then the rest of the time we were just like i didn't know her but it was still like a really nice experience because like you're all here watching this thing i can think of like when i went to see endgame and like everyone losing their minds at things and like you don't get that at home like i can get excited about things by myself but it's exciting when someone else is screaming too or laughing and getting excited i saw so <sighs> endgame and uh infinity war were so good because i saw both of them twice and uh the second time i saw both of them i stopped watching the movie at a certain point and i just started watching the people around me because i was like (laughs) i know what's about to happen and y'all are gonna lose your (laughs) minds and 
and they did and it was amazing and it was just like this this is what movies are about like this is what the theater experience is about this is amazing i want to do this for the rest of my life yeah i think that's why like especially during covid i've been watching a lot of like reaction videos because it's like i really like to watch like people have either like the same reaction or like a completely different reaction that i do to a movie and like watching those is nice because it's like i get to pretend that i'm watching a movie with somebody else that's not my, that's not me uh, in my own apartment i think my big thing is like oh boy i start when somebody starts talking about a movie or a tv show that i'm even remotely interested in i just start talking like way too much because clearly <laughs> i am despite the fact that i just said i'm an introvert and i find being at home very soothing i'm clearly <laughs> starved for conversation because i'm like you want to talk about this thing let's talk about this thing and let's talk about it forever that's me being like hey mom would you like to watch wandavision mom i really think you should watch wandavision <laughs> she's like i don't want to watch it my dad asked me the other day if he would like WandaVision. <laughs> and I was like, or he was saying, he's like, I think I want to watch that WandaVision show. And I was like, Dad, do you know who Wanda or Vision are? And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it came out, on one of the episodes came out on my birthday and I forced my family to watch it with me because it was my birthday. And damn it, we are going to watch WandaVision. Yeah. Uh, and it comes on and my dad goes, oh, it's a Marvel thing? <laughs> I know this episode has nothing to do with WandaVision, but just quick plug for WandaVision. It's really good. Um, it'll probably be over by the time it releases, though. So we watch it all. Yes. That's how you use aspect ratio, guys. That's how you yeah. do it right. Yeah. I I like to humble brag. I do know one of the girls who works on the show. She's uh, not like... I act like I know her really well. She's met me like twice, but I'm going to say that we're friends. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, she does uh, editing for visual effects. So every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my God, she did that. <laughs> <gasps> amazing. <laughs> but yeah, quick plug for that show because I really didn't think I would like it. And I'm now sitting here being like, what are the like 12 Easter eggs that I've missed? And I got to read every little BuzzFeed article that comes out about it. I am surprised at how much, like, I go immediately from watching an episode now to searching Tumblr because I'm like, Tumblr, tell me, tell me all the things, like, send me all the gifts, give it to me. Uh, and I'm like, I don't think I did. What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? See, this is a show about how you deal with missing a man in your life. <laughs> There's also a lot of other ladies in the show who are like, oh, girl, we're going to help you get through this. We're we're going to get through this together, but you need to calm down. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Let's talk about let's talk about Monica Rambo being like, Wanda is not a terrorist. Wanda has a broken heart and we need yes. to be nice to Wanda because we can end this. We can end this conflict peacefully. By just showing a, a like, thimble full of human <laughs> compassion. Right. But all, once again, all the ladies are always doing that. And it's really nice to be able to watch that, which I enjoy uh, a lot. Um, all the ladies and Jimmy Woo, who I yes, love. Yes, I love yes. Jimmy Woo. 
Like, I'm very excited about Darcy. Darcy's the character. I- I'm so sorry. This is the episode is going way off the rails, but this is exciting. Darcy is the best thing that I- she's my favorite. I love Darcy. She's so good. Everything is so good. Everything in that show is so good, and I'm so excited for it every week. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to rewatch the last two episodes before I watch today's episode because it's Friday and there's a new episode out today. I want to say. A woman is a showrunner on that, but don't quote me on it. She's either a cinematographer or a showrunner. Because I looked it up because I was like, what if I talk about this on my podcast? <laughs> I would talk about WandaVision for your podcast. That could be that could be season two because I have not del- I've not done any television yet. I bring it up in every single episode because in my experience of what um more women are involved in television than in film and it has been that way for because you think about Ava DuVernay and uh, Gloria Kellett who does one uh, yeah one day, at a t- one day at a time so we have a lot more women showrunners uh, than, and then there's Shonda Rhimes obviously who you know created uh, at the moment everyone loves Bridgerton so there's that for you all um, I have a yeah, lot of thoughts about Bridgerton <laughs> I could not finish Bridgerton. They are not all good thoughts about Bridgerton. So if that makes you feel better. You're like one of like two other people. My best friend and I are like, can we talk about how we don't like Bridgerton? Is that okay to say? Like, I respect everybody who worked on it, but I just couldn't get into it. It felt like the oldie gossip girl. And uh... (laughs) that's exactly what it was. Now, I never watched Gossip Girl, but I did watch all of Bridgerton. And it was very much like a a weird shotgun kind of a weekend where I was just like, (laughs) what did I just do? Um, And there were parts of that show that I was like, all right, I'm bored. Okay, cool, cool. I mean, the guy is hot. I'm not going to take that away from him. (laughs) Yes, very, yes, very very attractive but the um, main girl looked like really young to me and i think that she me. looks like a child and that bothers me too oh, okay, especially okay. since there's like and this is again way off topic but like <laughs> there are like two or three straight episodes that just deal with them like deal with her figuring out her sexuality and then the two of them just straight up boning like non-stop like only just this side of pornography Um, just enough uh to make it classy because it's 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 bridgerton um and it was just like very like she is a child. And apparently, <laughs> in real life, she's like twenty-five, but yeah. she's very much like she's so petite, yes, and that yes. is like I haven't actually watched any people's like videos about Bridgerton, but a lot of the things that I am seeing is like, I mean, yes, you have a very large, like, you have a very diverse cast in this show, this, the world of this show, but your leading lady is still a tiny white lady. We're going (laughs) far-ish. They're, I mean, they're opening the door for new things in a season two. They're opening the door. Sure. Sure. 
for. My sister is a really big, my sister is plus size and she is really big into historical costumings. And her biggest beef is that the plus sized character in the show, mm-hmm. the single plus sized character in the show, um, is consistently dressed horribly. And not just like horrible colors, like the fit on all of her costumes yes. is not correct especially if she is going to a like seamstress to get her ball gowns fitted professionally like the the cut on the dresses is all wrong so like you were trying (laughs) to be inclusive but you didn't do it right see this makes me also a plus size person very like I feel like vindicated because I was like, what are they doing to her? Like, please stop it. They're, like, I, I had a conversation with my sister. I was like, well, the colors make sense. Like the idea that she is not like, she's not dressed attractively because her mother is definitely making all of her decisions oh, yeah. for her. I'm like, cool, that's a choice and that's fine. But both of her sisters who are you know, mm-hmm. not plus size, uh, have well-fitted gowns that hit them where they're supposed to hit them. Right. Like the seams are hitting them where those seams are supposed to hit people. And what you did was you didn't bother to get a decent costumer, question mark, who could fit a plus size person. Like, and that's my sister has started getting really involved in like plus side <laughs> communities on like Twitter and stuff. And they're all like, you guys did a really bad job at this. <laughs> Which is a shame because I really love that actress because I just finished watching her in Dairy Girls and Dairy Girls is great. It's very Irish. I've heard it's very good. <laughs> She's a treasure. It's just, like that show's just a treasure. I liked it a lot. Yeah. That's very 90s. <laughs> Oh, okay. Then I'll definitely have to watch that. I love, I like a 90s aesthetic, 80s aesthetic, anything that's like comforting at the moment of, ah, uh, yes, I remember what, when I had things like this, <laughs> when I had a see-through backpack. <laughs> Here's the thing. I am backing up a little bit because I'm going to talk about women in television because you were talking about there being more women in television and I was just thinking about uh, I was writing a post about Supernatural the other day and about Mm -hmm. season two on Supernatural and there are like there are a bunch of episodes where because one of the big complaints that a lot of people have about Supernatural is that it's sexist and they don't treat women like sure. they, they don't do a good job with women on Supernatural and that's fair that's accurate um, but I was watching season two and they have like a bunch of like really good female characters that they introduce yeah. as like one-off characters and I was like but like wait a minute Supernatural is supposed to be sexist and like what's happening here and I was trying to figure it out and then I go back and I find out that all of those episodes where I was like this this female character was great and like super well rounded and like just good female <laughs> writing like what happened it's just that there's a female writer it's just that there's a woman oh, writing yes. the episode and I was like oh well okay it, it makes a lot of sense that cleared that up real quick <laughs> Oh, yeah. I could probably talk for days about Supernatural, but that's a different, that's a different day. (laughs) Especially about women in Supernatural. 
Yeah. But I mean, I enjoyed I won't I won't lie. I enjoyed the show. I stopped watching season 5 maybe. I did watch the Scooby-Doo crossover episode because it was very important to watch. I was going to pick up on that episode when it aired cuz I remember hearing about it and being like, "Oh, yes, this is the great good yes, good great." Um and then I never actually watched it. So I'm excited. I am only in season I took a break over Christmas and then, like, had a really hard time getting back into it. But I was going to watch the entire series in, like, a year. Like, I wasn't going to, like, plow through it. But I want to get done with it by, like, October of 2021. Um, Sure. But so I was on season two for a really long time. uh, And I'm just starting to get into season three now. Um, So I am still very far away from the Scooby-Doo episode. I sometimes rewatch it on, I think it's Netflix, just because it's, like, aesthetically very fun. I love Scooby-Doo. It's really, it's a, it's a really weird decision that they made, and I'm very much here for it. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think my favorite episode is Mystery Spot, and I think I've watched that, like, I've forced other people to watch that with me, and I always forget that the end of that episode gets, like, really dark and moody, and, like, at that point, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry I made you watch this. I just wanted us to watch Dean die, like, 800 times. That's the thing about that show is, like, oh, just stupid fun, and then it gets really deep, and you're like, now I'm crying, and I need to process a lot. That's maybe why I stopped watching it just generally because I was like, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about these and I don't like all of them. So I'm going to like just put a pause on this show and not come back to it ever in my life. You were supposed to be my escapism show. Now it's not happening. So we're just going to wait. I have, uh, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about Supernatural. <laughs> Okay, do you have any final words about Wonder Woman? Because I think... I'm glad that over the course of this discussion, we have found that there is a good movie inside of Wonder Woman. Like, it was there. It is there somewhere. You just have to do a lot more digging to find it than I would like us to do. And I think you have to, like write a little bit of internal fan fiction inside to just to be like here's what here's my headcanon just like uh, headcanon away the plot of the movie just like this is what I want to have and then I'll daydream about it when I sit and drive in the car and then I'll be like oh I forgot I'm driving pay attention kind of thing you know one thing that I want to mention because the fun my dad talks through every single movie we watch Sure. And, and one while we were watching, and I was talking with him too. It was fine. We were like, we're riffing. It's great. And Wonder Woman then is like, you know, using her lasso to um, George of the Jungle through lightning is how I will explain it. And he just goes, this movie is insulting my intelligence. And I thought it was the, it was the best thing that he said all day. <laughs> oh, man. My... <laughs> So I watched, I did, I didn't get to watch it on Christmas Day because I wanted to rewatch the first one and I knew I could only force my family to watch one (laughs) Wonder Woman movie and I was like, I won't have to explain anything if I turn on the first one, so we'll just watch the first one. Um, But 
we are watching the the first one and my nephew who is oh gosh is he 13 now i can't remember he's maybe 13 now and that makes me very upset (laughs) but my nephew like made fun of it the whole time and i was like shut your damn mouth (laughs) you teenage idiot it made me very upset and then he made fun of it because uh, I watched it with his sister was super excited. She's uh, six. No, she just turned 17. Oh, my God. My niece just turned 17. <laughs> um, but uh, like literally last weekend, she turned 17. Uh, so she was super excited to watch it. And I think my sister was also super excited to watch it. And um, my nephew like could not care less and I'm like oh you are so infuriating right now like I know we make fun of a lot of movies Alec but like oh sure please stop making fun of this movie because you're not making fun of it in the right way one thing I did want to point out so we watched the first movie and I was talking about how the second movie was available on HBO Max Mm -hmm. and we could watch it like immediately and my mom was like so like is she going to be smarter in the second one? <laughs> I think my mom was like, because Diana is very naive in the first one. Like, yes. she doesn't know how the way, she does not know the how the world works in the first right. one. And that is, that is both a weakness and a strength because, like, yeah. she doesn't know how it works. So she doesn't feel the need to conform to any rules she's just right. gonna do what she's gonna do diana gonna do what diana's <laughs> gonna do um but she she does come she is very naive and i think my mom was equating that like naivety to like she's kind of a dummy mm-hmm. and i was like but no she's not a dummy and i'm like trying to defend her and my mom's just like mm. <laughs> I was like, e- you don't, you don't get it, mom. You just don't get it. <laughs> it's fine. I do like. I want to point out that I think it's. I think people should still watch this movie. I think you should still support women creators because that's a really important thing to do. And it's kind of sad that like was it 2017 that the first Wonder Woman came out? That sounds right. That's the first su- su- female-led superhero film ever. Like that's really depressing. Um, so any time that, like, women and young girls can see themselves in any sort of superhero, I'm, like, I'm very excited for it. I don't... Look, my... Some of my favorite films were, like, Charlie's Angels. Were they good films? Eh, but they were strong women in those movies, and that was very, like, exciting to me. I loved Tomb Raider because it was a strong woman. Once again, is it a good film? Mm. But, like... I, I think, like, when we were younger, we had to, like, grasp at straws for, like, what kind of women re- representation that we had. And I remember talking to my mom about this, and she said, Princess Leia was the first badass woman I ever saw on screen, and then it was Ripley in Alien. And, like, and if you think about that, we still put those women on the same chart today because we don't have a whole lot. We don't have anything else. And that was one of the things, one of the reactions that I saw was uh, like a tweet that somebody had reposted on Facebook that was like, I think we still need Wonder Woman 1984 because we 
need to get to a point in our society where <laughs> a female-led superhero movie can suck and there's still yeah. going to be a hundred more female-led mm-hmm. superhero movies. Like, we've had a lot of sucky male superhero movies. Oh, and for we're sure. De- we keep getting more of those. So, like, <laughs> we should allow this movie to suck and still yeah. give it more movies. It, give it, this it, franchise it, more movies. Yes. Right? Yeah, and I think, like, and Patty Jenkins talked about this in the webinar where she was like, I can't be the the woman director who makes a bad movie and like that's really upsetting like, to hear not that not that she feels that way because i completely understand right but the, the fact that like that has to be on her mind when she's making like what an ad, another totally added stressor to like making something that you want to do yeah it's the idea that this this one successful person who happens to be a minority in hollywood this yeah. one successful person has to represent all of those other, like, <laughs> minority-led projects. Like, that's yes. not fair to anyone. No. Not at all. And I th- At all. I think that, like, we need more Birds of Prey, and we need more Wonder Womans, and I'm happy to continue to support them uh, as much as that I can, even if, like, they're, they're not good. I've seen plenty of bad movies for less, like... <laughs> oh, absolutely, yes. Like, I watch Van Helsing all the time. That's a terrible movie. <laughs> I love Van Helsing. I, I love it, too. It's it's it, a very strong, sort of, female character. Uh, great, wonderful. <laughs> I love Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale, if you're listening, wonderful job. Kate Beckinsale and the vampires is just a match made in heaven. Just, like, way to go, Kate. Great job. <laughs> I loved you in Underworld. Yes. I loved you in Van Helsing. Yes. She's going to get one more badass role to, like, solidify. I mean, she did play... Didn't she play Evie in the third Mummy movie? No, that was Maria Bello. Oh. We don't speak of this uh, third. (laughs) I was going to say, that was not a good... I don't even think I've seen that one. Oh, boy. They didn't have Rachel Weisz in it, so it was like, "Mm, I don't need to see this. Yeah, there was at one point I stopped paying attention because Yetis became involved. <laughs> and I was like, I'm out. Like, I was already sort of not there, but I was really out when a bunch of Yetis came in. I think the most disappointing thing is when a movie you've expected to be so bad it's good again goes back around to being yeah. bad. And you're just like, ugh, we were so close and you took yes. it too far. Yes, I, I checked out at that point. That was when I was like, you know what? Why has How Did This Get Made not done something about this movie yet? I would like to be their guest. I am no one of importance. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I feel that way also about What's that movie? The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I've been waiting for that episode forever. That forever. movie is amazing. I watched it like five times on <laughs> FX, on the FX channel. Oh, they always talk about blowing up. They always talk about the practical set of blowing up. The little miniatures and you see the car going through <laughs> the, the streets of Venice. Yes! Yes! <laughs> 
I very much loved that movie. I was hoping for a whole franchise. It never existed. I picked up the comic one time because I worked at a bookstore for a little while and they had the comic and the graphic novel section. I was like, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, amazing. (laughs) And so I like pulled it off the shelf and I'm like trying to read it on the sly because, you know, I'm supposed to be shelving books. And I was like, oh, this is this is very different. That was that was one I saw in theaters. I saw a lot of bad movies in theaters. I saw Van Helsing at midnight. Midnight release. That's amazing. I did not start going to movie theaters regularly until I graduated high school and had a job where I could pay for my own movies. I feel like I really missed out on the opportunity to see League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in the movie theater. I don't I feel like I went in a matinee. And like, which it just made it better because like we were probably like the only people in that movie. <sighs> Wonderful! I love a matinee. I love a matinee on a weekday. Not that I get yeah. to do a lot of those. No, but no. A weekday matinee where it's just like, I'm here, and so is this old retired couple, <laughs> and so is a bunch of kids that I definitely know are skipping school. Yep. But also there's like four rows between us all and it's great. It's wonderful. All right. I will wrap up this episode, which is a bonus episode that we've now been recording for an hour and a half. Usually my bonus episodes are eight minutes long, but that's it's better this way. Uh so I'm gonna send it over to myself, which I previously recorded to talk about the end. So <laughs> great. So thank you for being my first ever guest. I am I am honored to be your first ever guest. This was delightful. <laughs> Do you have things you want to... Everyone asks on a podcast. Do you have things you want to plug? I have uh, my... my I'll bring up my Supernatural blog that I have been posting, which is not... It is... I'm trying to do it regularly. I really am. It's hard. But I post it on Tumblr and nobody reads it. Uh, but if you want to follow it, it's Letters to the Midnight Society is the name of the, the Tumblr blog. And it is all Supernatural posts right now. It was supposed to be a side Tumblr where I wrote letters to the Midnight Society from Are You Afraid oh, no. of the Dark? I was going to say, are you going to open every blog post with, like, this is, what is it, for the consideration of the Midnight Society? That would be amazing. Uh, no, I did not. And I I still have not found, like, the best way to start all the episodes or, or all the blog posts because, again, nobody reads it. Nobody cares. Uh, but um, that would be amazing. That would be great. Uh, yeah. I wanted to write letters to Gary. Uh, the Midnight Society because they were all going to be things like Gary, why did you make Frank tell two stories to go into the Midnight Society? His first story is easily the scariest story anyone has ever told what is wrong with you. Dear Gary, Tucker is the worst. How did you let him in on this? You know, they're bringing that back. Uh, I... I'm kind of excited, but also kind I'm, of not excited. I'm excited to see what, like, scares youths today. Today? So I feel like it's much different than what scared youths back then. This is a good point. This is a good point. Because that's, like, I was watching, I've been, I watched Pulp Fiction the other week. 
And I was expecting it to be, like, way edgier and, like, uncomfortable <laughs> because of everything that I've heard about Pulp Fiction. And then I watched it. And I was like, this is weirdly tame. And I think, like, I don't know if it's just because I'm desensitized or because <laughs> I have built up a tolerance because I know so much about this movie without ever actually right. having seen this movie. But, like, I didn't think it was that bad like still definitely an r-rated film but like didn't think it was that like scandalous so i'm like what do the youths of today think is scary because that pool episode is still terrifying the quicksilver episode still terrifying um there's at least one about like fairy tales where the girl is like super obsessed with fairy tales and then like she spends a night having to battle them or something and then it ends with like she thought she'd woken up from her dream but she hadn't (laughs) and roll credits i was like what like there were a bunch of episodes that ended like and they thought it was fine Mm -hmm. but guess what it wasn't and that's my story this week guys (laughs) what you think yeah it's I would I'm curious to watch it because I I I love I love the original Are You Afraid of the Dark? I find it to be very creepy. I think it's a creep I was gonna call it Ghostbusters. That's that's incorrect. It's a creepier goosebumps. Uh, and I do love goosebumps as well. I think goose I love uh, any sort of spooky children's things. Uh, and then I was very scared of one particular episode of Goosebumps that it still sticks with me today. It is not scary, but to me it was scary. Um so I, I don't know. I tried looking at like I've watched really weird TikToks. I guess that's where children get scared today. Probably. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up because I've gone on many tangents, but that's OK. <laughs> that's OK. That's why we that's what podcasts are for. Exactly. To, so the three people who listen to my podcast can get very excited about things. Yay! But we will we'll go read the Midnight's the Letters to the Midnight Society. Oh, thanks. That's everyone's homework for. <laughs> if all three of the people who listen to your podcast read my blog, that will double the number of people who read my blog. That's right. All right, Mom, I know you're listening. That's the, that's the thing to do. <laughs> you need all you need is you you've seen me Supernatural, Mom. That'll be perfect for you. Well, and it's like it's it's about supernatural and it's uh it's essentially trying to discover how that show stayed on television for 15 years because that's like behemoth of a yeah of a of a show and the horcrux of television it is like one of them it's like a history of television in and of itself because it's lasted for so long because it's from 2005 i think yes 2005 and it's totally it had to adapt to all sorts. Was it a W? It wasn't WB, right? It was WB. It was WB. The first okay. season was WB, and they switched from WB to CW. Um, here's a fun fact. So, number one, it predates the W. It predates CW, which is bananas yeah. to me. Um, but CW is the merger of WB and UPN, which I do oh. not know. Um, and... Uh, Apparently, the first couple of seasons, they were, like, always on the verge of being canceled. And I was like, except for the fact that the CW, like, the, except for the fact that the WB and the UP, and UPN merged and they needed content to fill up their schedule. Sure. So, like, it was not doing great ratings-wise, but they needed 
stuff to fill time slots. So they just kept this show for like at least one more season. I'm excited for season three because that's the year of the writer's strike. So they have a shortened season. Oh. And uh, they knew going in, they knew when they started airing episodes that they were probably going to go on strike. And so they had to like streamline a whole bunch of stuff. So, oh, that's so it's very interesting looking at Supernatural as like the model of how television used to work versus yeah. like the streaming era that we are in now. So that's I mean, that's a lot of what I talk about. It essentially like built up the CW because what was on there before then was like what Buffy was WB and Angel and that all kind of ended. Uh, and then you get not then I mean the CW went into like Vampire Diaries and stuff and that has consistently been like kind of like spooky supernatural also superhero stuff but like for ages like I would say like high school to middle age because I mean like it's a great range yeah well and when Supernatural came out like One Tree Hill was still on Gilmore Girls was still on and that was like what was doing well on uh, CW eventually Um, it did come out like it did overlap it overlapped with Gilmore Girls and with Smallville when it started but I think both of those shows ended before too much longer uh but it was just like the cw was a very different place once upon a time and now you're right it is all like vampire diary spinoffs and like uh warner brothers or not warner brothers dc characters that like they have to recast for the movies for some reason (laughs) you know i don't hate it i wanted to watch nancy drew because I actually saw that there's a really cool, like, special effects makeup demon looking thing from Nancy Drew. And I was like, Nancy Drew has I was going to say, I was mad about Nancy Drew being on the CW. And then I was like, hold up, there's ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. So I keep trying to watch it on the app and it just doesn't work. And I feel like it's cursed. But I really do. I really do want to watch Nancy Drew. I love the books and stuff. Uh, but I think... My niece is telling me that it's maybe on Netflix. Maybe, oh, but I don't know. CW, you can also hire us. Um. Yes, please do. I would love to work. Uh, I would love to work on a CW show. It would be amazing. <laughs> so if anybody from CW is listening, uh, we're here for you. I don't care that your demographic is so much younger than me now. Like I will still be there. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you when the <laughs> rain starts to fall. I would like to plug right now that the CW is going to be doing a Lost Boys show, and I would like to volunteer my time to do whatever it takes to be on that set. Uh, I am a huge Lost Boys fan, and I know nothing about this show except that it's been like rewritten entirely, and it's going to have, and this is the best part, because uh, the Frog Brothers are the best part of the Lost Boys, but it's going to be the Frog Sisters, and I'm really here for it. <laughs> I think I remember seeing that. Yes. I'm uh. very much like I'm kind of. I was nervous at first, but I was like, you know what? We do need more vampire content. <laughs> Agreed. Agree to agree. <laughs> and like evil vampires, because like the the Lost Boys are they're not nice. So like, no, they're not. I'm good. here for that. Yeah. They have like a child vampire in that show that they they like. Okay, rest- so I'm not, or, not I'm in not, the show in the movie. I'm gonna stop recording because I'm now gonna go off on a tangent about the Lost Boys. <laughs> Great, I will also stop recording. All right, so I'm gonna. 
I'm going to toss it to myself. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking this journey with me. I really hope that you enjoyed season one. I'm going to be a little bit better about hopefully season two and beyond. And uh, maybe we'll do some television. Maybe we'll do actual interviews with women in the film industry. We're just going to see where this journey takes us. But I do hope that you learned a little bit about some amazing women in this industry and that you are more inclined to try and, you know, watch these films by women. It's not easy to find often and they are often independent films. But please, you know, go ahead, watch that movie, spend that 20 bucks in quarantine and we're not going anywhere anytime fast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have really enjoyed and see you next time. Bye. This has been The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast researched, created, and edited by me. Special thanks to my dad, Mark Castaneda, for doing the music. 